Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Wow, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. It really is great having you here. I'm your host, Dr. Pat. And those of you that know me so well uh, get to tune us in and turn us on each and every day and sometimes two, three, four times a day. And we love it. I want to welcome all of you to the show tonight. And this is Talk Radio to Thrive by, better known as the Vibe of Thrive. We get to talk with people, people from all walks of life just encouraged and called to create something so powerful to help most of us learn how to live life full out. And I get to chat with some of the most incredible people from every aspect of life that you can imagine. I I woke up today and I felt so incredibly blessed. And the reason I felt that way is because yesterday, if I look back, uh, and since we're going to talk about loss tonight, this is a loss of a different kind, I had one of the most technically challenged days that I've had in a long time. A very interesting day for me. I did something I never do. I put down a drink next to my laptop, and lo and behold, as I went to grab the microphone, the drink went and made union with my laptop. And the reason I bring that up is because we are in such a fast pace right now that every once in a while we get reminded to stop, look, and listen. And somebody said I should also write a book called that, but I learned that firsthand yesterday. And just when I thought I had it all nailed down because I took my laptop, put it in front of my my hair dryer, and dried the thing, I thought, I know, my guest is like, what the heck did I say yes to this show for? So I took my laptop, and I got my hair dryer, and I'm drying my laptop, and I'm praying. I'm drying it, and I'm praying, and I'm drying it, and I'm praying. As I did that, I dragged the hard drive that was attached to it halfway across the floor. So now every archive of the Dr. Pat show that was on that external hard drive and now my beautifully, unbelievably groomed laptop that smells like organic vanilla coffee is now calling to me to stop. And so the first thing I decide to do before I started to cry is think to myself, okay, what does this symbolically mean to me? You know, what is this? other than a machine and a piece of equipment. And I thought about that for a minute because in my lifetime, I had the experience of loving and losing um, people that were so important to me. And I thought for a minute, especially about my show today with my very special guest, Jane Smith Bernhardt, who's joining me here today. I thought, let's think about this, Pat. This is a computer. This is a hard drive. And, you know, let's say we have to say goodbye to that. How does that scale on a 1 to 10 to when you lost your mother at age 7? Then I thought, okay, let's think about that for a minute. Now, like on a scale of 1 to 10, how does that really hold up thinking about when I lost my job after 25 years? 
So then how did that really hold up to then losing my sister, my stepmother, and my mentor all within three years of itself? After a while, I started to think that just about every woman that gets close to me better be wearing some garlic or something because it started to look like a parade. And so what I realized, especially getting ready for tonight's show, and I want to introduce all of you to my very special guest today, you know, what can I say about Jane Smith Bernhardt? Let me just tell you, they send you this little paragraph to introduce her. And, in, in, and let me introduce her. What I know about her is that this is a person that was called to create something absolutely beautiful and amazing so that people understand, can feel, can let go of, and can believe in things that really don't die. But for the most part, get reborn in so many other ways. She is the author of the book, We Are Here, Love Never Dies. And when I step back from this experience of now having vanilla coffee, computer, laptop, which, by the way, we were able to restart, but it now has a mind of its own. So it comes on. It kind of it, it actually does. It scrolls its own screen, and it looks at certain things. And if you use the mouse, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't pay attention. But what would that loss have meant compared to all the other things in my life that I've had to say that I've had to let go of and then again reinvent for myself? Well, tonight's show is about that. It's about understanding we are all here. Uh, love never dies. And more importantly, we are here and connected in ways that none of us really know much about. So this incredible author. My guest tonight is have been named one of New Hampshire's most remarkable women of the year. She's recently been featured in Road Less Travel, the Visionary New England Lives. Her new book that I have in front of me here will take us all tonight on a journey about getting up close and personal with some of the lessons of life, what loss really means, and not to sweat the small stuff. Jane, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Pat. It's wonderful to be on your show. I just love the positive um, approach to all of the difficulties and challenges that surround us. It's very, very heartening and really part of planetary transformation that's going on right now. So thank you. Well, I love that you're talking about that. And, you know, did you get my little funny story about my, my laptop that I French fried? Did you? <laughs> I love it. I love it. it. It's okay. We can laugh. We can laugh together about it. Because when it happened and in the moment that it happened, right, um, it's almost as if your life flashes before you, before you realize it's a piece of plastic and metal, right? It's almost as if you we're in this moment of trauma. And, and we, we put something in front of us that is so irrelevant at so many levels. And I wanted to bring this to a question for you. Here you are, a healer, a writer, a painter, an actress, a lecturer. You've performed all over the world. And you have said yes to a life calling that many of us wouldn't even have a clue as to how to create. So what challenges... What obstacles did you have to move beyond to bring you to this very moment to become this spokesperson 
for helping us all remember that love never dies? Well, that's a profound question. Um, Isabella should have told you. <laughs> <laughs> that you would ask only profound questions. <laughs> yeah, but I also have fun, too. Um, I um, have had lots of challenges. I would say that the really kind of risky out there things that I've done going to the Soviet Union during the Cold War to do portraits of enemy faces, going to Auschwitz with my one-woman show based on a woman who had died there, doing portraits of Hiroshima A-bomb survivors. A number of these things look like the hard part, but for me, the hard part is the agony or, well, just personal angst of getting to where I really know what the calling is. And that's the challenge for me. If I know where is my beloved, where is the voice of my love, the lover of my soul, then I'm home free. And then I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything. I mean, I, <laughs> maybe. Um, I will look at adversity as a possible pathway and say, where are you, the companion of my soul? Because I, I really have come more and more to believe that none of us is here alone, that we have unseen companions, and I'm not so quick to name them because I think we each have our own names and our own doorways to access, whether it's through the Holy Eucharist, whether it's through angels or spirit guides or uh, walks in nature and 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 communing with the flowers um, we have our own ways of experiencing what is the power of the energy of light and love that propels the universe so when I get separated from that because someone dies or because my computer is fried or because I simply feel alone and afraid in the world, then my job is to find the life, the love, the hope, the peace, the joy that passes understanding. And it's there for all of us. I was listening to your interview, recent interview with, now what's the Ruiz's son? Is it Don Miguel oh, Ruiz? Yeah, Don Jose. Don Jose. And thinking about that phrase that they have in the four agreements and then the fifth agreement about the dream of the planet. And it's like each of us has our challenge to get through the dream of the planet. And the dream of the planet has sort of gotten itself hung up on fear and scarcity and the death is the end and all kinds of constrictions. And so in a way... We're talking about one thing. We're talking about um, transforming ourselves and the planet through understanding that the real dream is the dream we get to create of joy and hope and abundance and faith. Well, did you hear me? Kind of, you probably didn't hear me kind of go off today a little bit. I had a full hour of open mic, and some days that's just myself and Benny and Valerie, and we talk about what's current events or what's going on mm-hmm. in the current events. And and so we were talking that CNN had a page on their website about the positive spin, the positive aspect of the oils 
still crisis. Mm. And, 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 and what you go when you, you go to CNN and you look there, it's really exactly what you're talking about. So when you go there, what they're calling the positive part of this, of showing people hand in hand along the coastline in prayer. And the other picture they're showing, they're showing people sitting and meditating. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting in the way that they talked about that as, you know, look at what's happening. This is the positive side of, of that oil spill. And yet in the next paragraph or two right next to it, there was a whole segment on the downturn economy. And I just said, why don't we all just change the language? You know, what's wrong with calling this an upturn? Or what's wrong with calling this on our way up? Or why don't we call it up, up and away or something? And, and so we had a conversation in the context of what you're saying. And sometimes, as you write in your book, I really do think we forget that love does exist. And don't you think, from what you've seen around the wall, uh, world, for being an artist, for what the passion of your work is about, don't you think that this could be, in fact, an incredible time of awakening at so many levels? I do. I do. First, let me go back, and then if I can hold on to that sure. thread, go to an analogy that I love. But mm-hmm. I remember... Um, being terrified of trying to perform my uplifting words by the by the um, Dutch Jewess Etty Hillesum, who who mm. perished at, at Auschwitz physically, but yeah. bringing her amazing visionary hope and spirit to this grave of so many people, and boy, her words flew out over the audience, gathered audience for the 50th anniversary of the liberation of the camp, gathered audience of people, peacemakers and and survivors from around the world, all different areas, coming together and finding the holiness in one of the darkest places on the planet. Mm. And just as you're saying, it just makes my hair stand up on on my skin to think of these people in prayer around the Gulf. Um, and what the analogy that comes to me is the butterfly. Um, I had the opportunity with my husband to go to the place in Mexico where the monarchs phenomenally travel from as far as northern Canada to, to winter in this one little area of a few mountainsides in Mexico. Um, They have come from uh, smarmy little caterpillars who chomped and chomped until they got really fat and then spun a, a container around themselves and literally self destructed That's what happened. The chrysalis destroyed itself. Mm. And it was, and it must have been, if you could be inside of their very dramatic, dark experience, where did that butterfly come from? We don't really know. It was alchemy. That butterfly just emerged looking nothing like having none of the material properties of what had died. And that's what's happening right now. 
the things are crumbling that we that the dream of the planet has put all its faith in. These systems that have to do with many of them, with militarism, with domination, with prejudice, not all of them, of course, greed, but many, many, fear, and all these things are just going belly up. And what have we got left? We've got people encircling the Gulf with their prayers, people seeing that the economic system is mortally flawed, people seeing that the things that seemed impractical before, which is to say trusting one another, investing in communities, um, you know, cooperative banking, green, local, sustainable livelihoods, these things that we felt were too good to be true, that we had to know, get outside of our instincts and be a little more greedy and a little more, you know, fearful, the things that are the most good and hopeful are proving to be the place where we are safe to invest ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I believe this planet will make a miraculous, miraculous turnaround. I think we're seeing it every day. And, you know, for a lot of us, uh, and especially someone like you, Jane, and I just want to let everybody know, joining me here tonight, for those of you that are just uh, chiming in, uh, Jane Smith Bernhardt's joining me. She is the author of We Are Here, Love Never Dies. We're going to talk about this book in a minute. Um, but for someone like you who has been able to write this book, and we're going to, and I want to talk about, you know, the story of this book and how this book, you know, actually um, got born, you know, how, what the birthing process of this was. Uh, don't you believe that people, people such as yourself, are being called upon to, in a, in a sense, tr- be the conduits, be the translator, um, be the messenger, so to speak, you know, the voice of, let's call it the new consciousness, whatever one wants to call it. The point is the voice of something greater than ourselves in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I wanted to ask you about that because this is something that came to you. And I think it would be so great if you would share that story. This came to you. Well, and no one was more surprised yeah. than <laughs> me that this came to me. Um, I was not expecting this miraculous nine-month period that was so extraordinary that I could almost not contain it. Um, My father um, passed away in his sleep on November 6th of 2000 and November 5th of 2006, leaving behind him his very, very fragile bed bound wife. He had been the caregiver um, and she had had a very uh, scary year of health crises. My father's body just wore out and so my sisters and I boarded a plane from the East Coast to California to join our stepmother with whom we had never been close um, who was um, more or less alone in her bed, not able to even sit up and absolutely destitute because her husband was her life. Mm. I had had spiritual discussions with my father 
starting with probably 20 years before when I said, I, I have some faith and I know that I have a spiritual journey, but I can't believe, I can't wrap my brain around the notion of afterlife. And my father had said, even at that time, I don't doubt it at all, and started sending me books like uh, Dr. Ray Moody's Life After Life and various accounts of um, by doctors and people who had made scientific experiments based on people's near-death experiences. And then over the years, we shared a number of, well, many, many spiritual conversations and books. He was involved with uh, The Course in Miracles and a number of other alternative sources. He had been the son of a minister and was, I think, trying on everything but Christianity, although he came at the end to see that all the great religions seem to point towards the same um, loving presence in mm-hmm. spite of language differences and what works for one person is not as appealing to another. Right. At any rate, my father knew that I had been meditating increasingly just waiting on the stillness and looking for some inspiration and receiving at times inspiring words, which I was collecting in a little volume and had sent him some. And he found them to be very true according to his experience with the voices of spirit. So I was dozing on my flight to California and started to hear my father's thoughts in my brain, my father speaking to me. And I was so surprised, but I did have the automatic thought, I'm going to do what I do when inspiration comes to me. I'm not going to filter it through my brain. I'm going to grab my journal and my pen and just start to record But this was just way more than I expected. And always there was this half doubt in my mind. And yet it sounded, and I I didn't hear it auditorily, you know, it was just there in my thoughts. But yet in in the quiet way, it was my father's language. It was my father that I recognized and not at all like the voice of spirit that I had, that I had received inspiration from before so i just wrote and wrote and wrote and on the rest stop between um, boston and california i called my stepmother and i said i've heard from dad oh wow and the interesting thing is that right from the start she believed it and drank up every word because she knew she knew as soon as I started to read the words that it was my father and mm-hmm. that he was speaking to her. And so for the nine months between his death and hers, she waited on these words and learned from them because the words increasingly contained not only his message of love and presence with her, oh. but also instructions that were coming to him through through companions and guides, instructions on how she herself might be completely open to this passage that was her journey. I can't, Jane, I can't help but ask you about this. How did you feel getting these messages? Because for you, 
this had to be an incredible loss in itself. And so it must be, I'm so curious to hear internally what was going on inside of you as, you know, this was your dad who was no longer of this plane. And yet at the same time, you were probably in more intimate communication with him perhaps than you had ever been. Well, that's exactly, exactly it. The miracle of being in this intimate communication seemed to trump and so I must I must have just known it was real because it trumped the loss such that I felt this at times this current of exhilaration that was um, like some kind of huge electrical charge that mm. probably my body wasn't quite ready for um, it was after it all ended, after the words that are now contained in my book ended, that I really yes. felt the loss, to tell you the yes. truth. Yes, I, I was so curious. There's a couple of parts in here I just chuckled uh, about. I hope I hope it was okay for me to chuckle. I, love I hope so, too. Where, I mean, I'm sure. sure. But... I, mean, I, I love the part where you asked, uh, you asked him, I don't remember exactly how you asked him, but I think you said you asked him if he had seen Jesus. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I think his answer was kind of, and I, I don't know him, but I could, I could almost hear his answer. It was kind of like, you know, not yet. I just got here. So I just got here. That was it. That was it. Have you seen Jesus? I just got here. I just love that. I mean, it was so, he was so exhilarated because he had been preparing like a student learning a foreign language. He had, and I described this at the beginning of the book, when my sisters and I arrived at the house, we walked into his study and there was his big easy chair with headphones and a wall of tapes and and CDs beside the chair. And he had been preparing for this final journey, listening to these recordings, anything he could get his hands on and reading. And it looked like... My father must have been beamed up or something because everything right. was there as he had been studying it. And so, and so he was so thrilled because it was better than he had hoped. Mm -hmm. And that's what he said right off the bat. Mm -hmm. No pain. I can hear the song of everything. The air is full of wisdom. I can go anywhere just by thinking about it. But there was the shadow of the fact that he had left his wife without saying goodbye. He had left her alone. And he, and he had left her in a way that he never would have, that he couldn't right. bear. And that's somehow how he figured this thing out. I don't know how it worked. Well, you know, part of this you talk about in the book, and I, I want to ask you about this. Um, one of the chapters, I believe, in the book is, is, is called You're Never Alone. Uh, and I think, isn't that correct? It's called You're Never Alone. Yeah. And, um, and yet, it's really interesting this time that we're going through now where people feel more alone, more isolated than they ever have, and yet we're all more connected than we've ever been. And so what do you believe that this, I'm just going to call it loneliness for a moment. Mm. What do you believe that this loneliness is all about? That's an interesting question because as I was preparing Mm -hmm. myself for this for this show I was thinking who 
is going to be hearing this and what do they need to hear. Mm-hmm. And I thought of the people who are feeling alone and compromised and the kind of hopelessness that often accompanies that. And I know that that's how my stepmother was feeling. And I know that that's how I often feel. And I think that it must be part of the dream of the planet, this sense of aloneness, because it's not the truth. The truth is that we are at all times surrounded by loving companions. Right from the time that we come into this body, we are surrounded by loving companionship. And somehow the the key is to find that way of opening to the awareness because it's as if we're we're a, a, a transmitter like a television that has lost its cable to the shows that want to come beaming through it all the time oh, right. there's networking right. there's programming but right. somehow we've we've lost the signal and right. so part of the awakening is in However that comes to us, whether it's through a loving friend or through unseen companionship or through something that we read, through opening our hearts to the the sure knowledge that what we see in the natural world, that eternal beauty and that constant drinking in of sun and and rain and and soil these things that are that are true are actually really true. In our deepest being, love is ever-present. We are not alone. We are part of an organism that functions as one. And and that's why someone can think a simultaneous thought with a thousand other people on the planet and suddenly something new happens or suddenly they feel connected. When you become silent when you become receptive and it's not so difficult anybody can do it anybody can begin through their breath to open their receptor sites and feel the love coming in mm. and feel the peace coming in and what's feel really, the joy and the union what's really interesting Jane and um, for those of you just tuning in uh, Jane Smith Bernhardt joining me here today the book that we're referring to in the story that she's um, she's sharing with everyone tonight uh, is what's written in the book. A large part of it, we are here. Love never dies. You know, it it really is. You do take us on this journey of loss. And I was really struck by your description of New Hampshire. I forget uh, uh, the chapter where you know the winter had just gone by, and because I spent time in New Hampshire, and it was one of the longest winters that I've ever experienced. <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I didn't know if I was actually going to make it. Yeah. And, um, and that's a common and, experience here in New Hampshire. Yeah, people say that about Seattle. You know, they say, "Oh my gosh, this has been the longest winter." I mean, everything is gray, stays gray a really long time. So people don't realize that Seattle is truly like that. They come during the times when the sun is out and they get tricked. Um, but winter was very real, and so I wonder if that experience, that place in New Hampshire, uh, New Hampshire itself, where you we're in this state of being captivated in a certain way. Was it easier for you 
to sort of plug in. Um, did surroundings have anything to do with it, or was this really a soul connection, soul to soul to soul to soul, that needed to be heard? I don't think that New Hampshire had much to do with it, because sometimes I was in the airplane and sometimes I was in California during this. Yeah. If you're talking about this nine-month period, I was in uh-huh. California five to six visits uh, where mm-hmm. I was with Angelica and where we would meditate together. I would sit by her, her bed because she was lying in the same position the whole nine months and I was I would sit by her bed and we would become quiet. It took a lot of courage because there was no closeness to begin with, but eventually I could sit there and we would go into a meditation together and then I would write as I began to receive something and um and I I don't think that the location that the geography or the climate had really anything to do with the receptivity. Mm-hmm. Is you know you've been called an artist, you've been called uh, a writer. Um, there's so many things that people know you as, so to speak. And I I've looked at the sketches, I've looked at your website. I mean, I have a sense of what some of this experience might be. But I was I was really struck by the marriage, so to speak, of the written word and the visual and how you have integrated so many different aspects of of being into preparing a profound message. So I wanted to ask you, you know, can you remember a time when writing so much was in support of your art and your art was so much in support of a greater message? Can I remember a time when writing was in yes. support of the visual art and the yes. performance yes. as opposed to writing being the other the way main. around. I see, I see. Um, yeah, I think I, 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 I've journaled, and I think of the Hansel and Gretel story. I've journaled to remember where I've been and who I am because I forget who I am and I get lost. Mm-hmm. And my journal is my trail of breadcrumbs back from the witch's house <laughs> where I often find myself. Um but in the written, I mean, in the, the visual art exhibits, well, first I was a portrait artist, but I was also trained as an actress and started doing television in New York City back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would trade off over the years the visual art and the drama, but very often both of them were supported by the written word because my when I came up with the notion of thematic visual art exhibits they always had poetry in them they were faces and it was always the message somehow of bridging differences between people whether it was enemy faces that i was drawing or whether it was the faces of um the inner city soup kitchen guests where i worked Mm -hmm. you know vietnam veterans deinstitutionalized people who fall through the cracks or whether it was the face of oh resistors or um or hiroshima mm. uh survivors right um people who had been to the other side of that darkness of of nuclear holocaust yeah um it, it was often the words that were part of the artistic message that i feel often transforms people 
better than uh, some kind of uh, mental debate. Mm-hmm. And, of course, in the theater, theater pieces that I've done, in my words have been the vehicle. Um, I created, adapted the words of Etty Hillisum for the most demanding and longest of my solo performance pieces, uh, Love Etty, the Journal of Etty Hillisum. Um, and so I was using her language, but I had crafted her language, kind of cut, pasted, edited, um, into uh, this 90-minute piece. So language was part of it, but not not the featured mm-hmm. part. And truly, I never set out to write a book. I did not. Um, people say, what made you want to write this book? I didn't want to write this book. What we had was a small volume of these amazing messages that were not only love letters from the other side, to a bedridden widow, but were also instructions on receiving the unseen and letting go of the body. And beyond that, even instructions for those who are left behind on what is real here and what really requires our attention. Yeah. I'm so uh, curious about what was the lesson learned. And the reason I asked that question, and let me ask in a different way, uh, by prefacing the fact that you have been uh, around the world, you have been at some of the most, um, how should I say, horrifically toxic pieces of land in this country and globally. And what I mean by that is land that has been betrayed by other people, either through uh, just completely annihilation of groups of people or the annihilation of people in general through in general through bombing and so forth. And so you have seen that and for our listeners, you know, they would I think we should share what that work is about. But there's so much that you've seen in in the world and in your work. I'm curious about what the aha lesson was in writing this book and in the messages that your father passed on to you. Wow. Um, Well, first and foremost, this clarity about the fact that there is very little uh, change that happens between our life in this body and after this body is finished. When I, I asked my father in that very first conversation when I was on the plane, what was it like when you died? And he said, I didn't know it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I didn't know it. Like, he woke up and he didn't know that he had died. And you hear this from people's uh, near-death experiences, too. They couldn't yeah. understand, like, like how, how they could be on the ceiling of the, of the operating room when their body was on the table. Um, because you, the I am of you feels the same. But what are the implications of that? The implications of that are that... That there is this, there is this place inside of me that I can focus on that is the eternal spirit, that is mm. the, what, what I've come to understand as the abiding reality or the, the prime factor. Mm-hmm. And this is indivisible. And this is going, so, so this survives. And what does this take with it? It takes with it the stuff that doesn't survive. 
is the worry, all that junk we were worried about, the fear, the the momentary crises, the 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 aches and pains, all that stuff is gone. The fried at the computer. End of the, day. the fried computer. The, yeah, that is above all. The fried computer me. is not going with you. Not coming with me. And so what? What remains and what is important and where do I invest my energy now? Mm-hmm. Jane, I want to take a minute uh, to make sure everybody knows how they can get a copy of your book and also um, how they can find out more about you uh, through your website. Let's just take a minute and make sure we give folks some information here. Sure. Am I the giver of the information? I would like to tell everybody that if you've missed any part of this show today, you can get any part of it, all of it, downloaded in iTunes uh, by going to the drpatshow.com or simply drpatlive.com. And, Jane, what's the best place for them to go? Is it your website, janesmithbernhardt.com? Yeah, it's either Jane Smith Bernhardt, and that's uh-huh. B-E-R-N-H-A-R-D-T, or just janebernhardt.com. Um, I've We've purchased both uh, my full name and my, uh, without the Smith, my maiden name, um, just so that we've got our bases covered. Um, You can, in fact, order my book that way through PayPal button. Um, Or you can uh, go through the online ordering services or my local bookstore. It urges me to say your local bookstore um, (laughs) may not have it in stock, but um, can easily order it for you. Thank you. Uh, I want to just mention that the book is We Are Here, Love Never Dies. Well, let's talk about Love Never Dies in the context of forgiveness. I, I wanted to ask you, in this journey, your life and in, in writing the book and the conversations with your dad, what have you come to know as the power of forgiveness? Well, I guess uh, if we have the time, I will talk about another part of the book which is yes please. the which is my ex-husband because that's really the intense part of forgiveness okay. in there yes. my ex-husband while i was in california one of the visits with angelica after my father had gone on ahead i got a phone call from my middle daughter saying that her father, my ex-husband, was being airlifted to Brigham and Women's Hospital with a massive brain hemorrhage. Oh, my goodness. So I got on a red eye to fly back to Boston, and by the morning I was standing with my children and my my former in-laws and my ex-husband's um, new wife at the ICU mm. watching this, like, unbelievable seeing this unbelievable unbelievable vision of someone who was in the direst situation he was in a coma he had to have several stints put into his head and still was having to be held in a coma for a total of a month um, because his brain was so damaged and unstable and in the course of that month really miraculously, I began to hear from him, not right away. I was in the supermarket buying uh, cans of soup for my son who had a flu, and standing in the soup aisle, I hear Don Henley's voice. My ex-husband had been a, a priest and a drummer and a singer and loved to cover Don Henley's songs, and here is Don Henley 
right over my head, singing into my heart, I think it's about forgiveness, even if you don't love me anymore. And I just started weeping because there was absolutely no doubt in my mind that somehow Doug was now speaking to me. And I got it. I got it that that it was he was sending a message of forgiveness that was so intense that um, I just, I just held it and cherished it and absolutely knew. However, the next morning I started to feel his thoughts and I resisted. I thought, no, I, I, I can't, I'm not ready to be a host for this. But then I, I waited a while, knowing that I could close the door to it at any time. Um, the sense that I then had was, no, this is a loving thing, this is a gentle thing, this is okay. And he began to to dictate messages to our children, two of whom were estranged from him, because he had become a very constricted person by his own admission. And what was happening to him was that in his coma, he was being guided into this awareness that everything that he thought he couldn't be forgiven for, he could. And that everything was infinitely forgivable, and and not only that, beyond that, there was infinite possibility to create and recreate, not only with one's life, but after one's life. And somehow, as you know from the book, uh, after a month in a coma, he came out of the coma and immediately asked, as soon as he was able to articulate words, to see the two children with whom he had been estranged, and to say, I am so sorry. I love you so much. And he was a being full of so much love and forgiveness. I saw him in that time. The daughter who had phoned me, our middle daughter, asked me to come with her to see him in um, the place where he was taken in Spalding Rehab, and um in Boston and he with great difficulty communicated with me and I said, uh, you've had quite a time not knowing if really still doubting if that was all real and right. he looked at me with astonishment and he said, You have no idea and <laughs> looked at our daughter and said, Do you know what we're talking about? The other side and he talked a little bit about it. He subsequently, um, what caught up with him was what turned out to be a, a, a brain tumor, and uh-huh. he did not survive. A- after a period of recovery, he began mm-hmm. to uh, lose more and more his faculties and um, and once again had a hemorrhage, and that was the end. But by the time he died... He had left in his wake lives transformed, mm. um, relationships healed, mm-hmm. and even uh, some things that I won't go into now, but very, very mm-hmm. big uh, rifts healed so that I, I was the one. His new wife, who had barely met me before, asked me to share some of the meditations at his funeral. And I did, and and it was just a miracle. The two children from whom he had been painfully estranged spoke at his funeral. So it's really, I think the book is about so many miracles. 
I think it is, too. I, what I'm really struck by in listening to you, and, and let me ask you this question as well. Is it true, do you believe, in all that you've experienced in your life and through this book, do you believe that this place of hope and forgiveness can also reside even after the spirit is out of the body? And what I mean by that is so often we see, um, especially on television and movies, you know, our loved one dies. We didn't get to say to them all the things we wanted to say to them. And we live a life of beating ourselves up. So my question then becomes, you know, is there a place to say those things that perhaps we had not said, not simply to free ourselves, but perhaps to even free the spirit? I, I absolutely believe that. I mean, mm. where where is a loving creator otherwise? Where is a loving right. and merciful God if right. these transformations are not possible? I do believe that, and it's it's certainly born born uh, born out in my own life. I I had a difficult journey with my mother, and uh, it continues to go through uh, ten plus years since ten years since her death. It continues to go through layers of forgiveness, and I deeply believe pat that the healing is for her and for me so i'm glad you mm-hmm. asked me that question because yeah i from think my it's personal experience i do believe that and i also believe that my father was asking some mm-hmm. forgiveness in the after and 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 saying he was sorry mm-hmm. also for some of the very difficult things that happened early in my life mm-hmm. you know but before writing the book, I want to talk about your art. I mean, you have some of the most incredible art. I want to talk about that for a minute because you have taken this path of healing forgiveness uh, in the conversations you've had with, you know, the survivors of Hiroshima and others. And there is a representation, so to speak, in the art that you've been able to create. How has that particular part of your life, your art, so to speak, how has that come to represent um, who you are as a visual healer? Who I am as a visual healer. Mm-hmm. There are some of us that, that read a lot and don't really get it. Someone like me. I can read a lot and, you know, sometimes I get it and sometimes I don't. But if you were to come into my office right now, uh, you would see you would see things on the walls and on the shelves that sort of represent uh, voices themselves. And so while you heard the voice of your father, the question is, what kind of voice does your art have? Oh, boy, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, Isn't this fun? <laughs> wow, yeah, yeah. You're sort of twisting my mind in new configurations. Um I think that portraits, if they say that the eyes are the window to the soul, I think my gift as a portrait artist is in soul connection. Mm -hmm. I remember praying very early on, sometime in my 20s, praying that my portraits would be alive spiritually. And I think that, and people say without, you know, say unsolicited over and over, your portraits convey the spirit of of this person and I feel that I know them and so to me that's what they do Um, so there's a kind of there's a kind of meeting of spirits that takes place 
um, optimally in the viewing of these pictures so that if you're looking at uh, the Hiroshima survivors, for example, yeah. you're feeling, <gasps> for the very first time, oh, my gosh, that's a person like me. Yeah. That's a person like me. I feel them. Or, or, or during the Cold War, the enemy faces from the Soviet Union. <gasps> that's, that could be my sister. That could be my mother. We can't be, we can't be even contemplating nuclear weapons. And that's been a great passion of mine. Like, how come, how can we contemplate nuclear weapons? How can we contemplate? Because, you know, what we know of one organism is that if I fire the gun with my hand, I'm shooting myself in the foot. And so when I look at that face, I see, oh, that's myself. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's my sister. That's my blood. Um, you know, and you know what I was struck by in looking at the, the pictures of that the, your your paintings, the paintings that you did of the the um, uh, the the Hiroshima. I believe it's Hiroshima. I was struck by the energy of the painting. And let me just show you what I mean, real quick. There's one of the paintings that you did, and I'm and, and I believe it was called uh, Kumika as Kuan Yin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay. And then I went on and I looked at the rest of these. Nuclear Madonna was another one. Mm. I was, when we talk about survivors of a catastrophe or a holocaust, one would expect to see paintings that are so enraged, so angry, almost like looking at Madame Pele in Hawaii just bursting her bubble. But these were not like that. The, the the paintings show people at such a level of peace. I was really struck by that. Oh, that's interesting. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, well, I certainly went through a huge journey of transformation myself when I was there. Mm -hmm. And Kumiko was kind of an angel who came to me, which is why she's depicted as Kuan Yin or, mm. or, or Mary or... Uh, because mm -hmm. I, I I felt I felt that the, that the toxicity of the experience was going to overwhelm me, but yeah. somehow somehow this young woman who came up to me as I was doing a portrait of one of the survivors, whose story was just so hard to bear. I was drawing while I was listening to her story. Kumika came up to me and I saw this compassion in this young woman's face, and we just started to weep together and i thought okay this is where it is this is where it is this is where love resides exactly. we will get That's beyond this because when i go to these places i think uh-oh uh-oh now we've really found the darkness it's bigger than the light now we've really now we've exactly really got exactly right but it's but not it's not so that the darkness is never bigger than the light <sighs> I, isn't that a powerful message and a great way to end the show tonight? Mm. Because that's the sense I got from not just from visiting with you and what you've done and your uh, some of the incredible poetry you have here or your messages on the website. Uh, and for those people that want to find out more, you can go to Jane's website, janebernhart.com, and it's janebernhardt.com. Uh, and you're going to be able to see everything she and I are talking about. Uh, and also, um, you take take a look at what she's written, and, and, uh, and it's called For the Families for Peaceful Tomorrows. Take a look. 
at what she's written. That's what I think is a great way to end the show because when you when I read about all that you had done, Jane, in your life and your work, it was it was a very different impression I had uh, then when I actually went to feel the energy and read the book. You know, you're truly writing about something and so many things actually that are so difficult for people, but you write about it and you paint about it from such a place of hope and light that you are truly an inspiration for so many people. So I want to thank you for being here tonight. Wow, thank you. Thank you for those words. I'm going to take them to heart. Thank you so much. I cherish those words. Thank you for this experience. And uh, may your work and mine be a blessing. I I love that message. I want to make sure that everybody knows on the book is called We Are Here, Love Never Dies. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful journey for all of you out there. You get to take this journey with Jane, with her dad. You get to learn about receiving. You get to learn about what the messages are for our children. You get to learn about forgiveness. And, and for me, most importantly, you get to learn about hope. So thank you, Jane. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, what would be your personal message? What would you like to leave with people tonight? Well, it's very close at hand, this opening that I was mm-hmm. talking about earlier. It's very close at hand. You don't have to struggle too hard. It's not far away. It's right here. I the love ones that. The who are accompanying you, they're right here. I love that. Mm. Uh, That is a fabulous reminder for all of us. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody, I want to thank you for tuning in to the Dr. Pat Show. If you've missed any part of this, go to drpatlive.com. That's drpatlive.com. And as I said before, the book is called We Are Here, Love Never Dies. Let's all remember together. Love is what was shown at the Gulf. Those are the pictures you're seeing today, the 100th day. You're seeing the pictures of people in such a place of love, forgiveness, prayer, and hope, that completely overtakes the energy of the gloom and the, and the doom and the despair. So join Jane and I on a journey that will step out into the world and know that we are all connected. And when you're down a court, so to speak, remember, you can stand on the shoulders of all that have come before. Remember something Jane has said tonight. And live life full out. We'll see you next time on the Dr. Pat Show. Oh,